Now, Birdsong, fun and fascinating talk about the top stories in today's headlines. Birdsong may just be the most qualified talk show host in the business, thanks to his many careers in law, government, and education. Here's your host, Leonard Birdsong. Hello, folks. This is Birdsong back with you on the radio. So happy to be here. Hope you like what you hear in this program. You know I'm here to inform and entertain. Today we have a guest. We're going to talk about suicide with that guest. My guest has a doctorate in spiritual studies as well as some other degrees. I will give my commentary and opinions on some of the things in the news of this week, particularly about President Trump's lawyer raid on his office. Warrants were issued. Documents were taken. Does this violate the attorney-client privilege? Also, what about the fact of the president wanting to send 4,000 National Guard troops to the southern border with Mexico? Why can't he send regular troops? He's got to send the National Guard. I'll tell you why. There will be some dumb criminal law stories and some riddles easy riddles today, and we'll have a Paul Harvey rest of the story for you and a thought of the day. So let's get started, folks. My guest is Dr. Jeannie Sanner, and I read about her, and uh, it struck me that she wrote in her early 20s, she was so despondent, she put her then-husband's Air Force-issued pistol to her head and pulled the trigger, but the gun jammed. She's gone on to live a great life, and she's written a book called, among other things, Finding Unconditional Love, A Little Piece at a Time. She's glad her suicide was averted. She was glad the gun jammed. Now, why do I want to talk about suicide? Because some of you may know that of my three children, one of them did commit suicide. It was 10 years ago. It's been a hard thing to get over. You never, or at least I've never known completely why she would do this. But, Dr. Sanner, welcome to Birdsong. Thank you for being with me. Well, thank you for having me. Now, I did not say that, uh, or tell people, I did tell people, you have a doctorate in spiritual studies, you have a master's degree in education, and a bachelor's degree in psychology. You are well learned. I have started reading your book. I haven't read all of it, but it's got some great imagery in it. And uh, among other things, I found out that you, like me, have lived in Germany. I lived there for three years as a State Department officer in Hamburg. And I understand you guys were stationed in K-Town, Kaiserslautern, yes, where a lot of Americans are posted, yeah. or used to be. I don't yeah. know if there are that many more. But anyway, let's talk about your suicide, and then we'll find out what people may do if they have family members or others who are com- contemplating suicide. Tell us your story. Okay, well, it really doesn't matter what gets you to the point of that level of despondency or grief. Um, I was feeling like all I did was create pain for everybody around me. Um, 
but the details of that aren't as important, but if you want them, I can tell you. But the, it isn't as important as knowing that when somebody gets to that point, there really isn't anything that anybody else can do. There wouldn't, be, wouldn't have been anything anybody could have done for me. Um, I also did not write a note because I figured everybody would understand why, but when I got beyond that when the gun jammed and I got myself together again, I realized I really had done a beautiful job of hiding mm-hmm. what I was going through. So, but the other important point to remember for those who are left behind is that when we are in our normal mind, nobody contemplates suicide. It isn't on our mind. So we're not viewing things through that lens. So even if somebody else were giving a signal, which later we look back on and we try to figure, oh, yeah, well, see, I don't know why I didn't pick up on that. That was, uh, you know, well, no, you wouldn't pick up on that because you're not looking through the lens of the thought of suicide. It isn't what normally people contemplate. So one of the things that I'd like to have people who, are left behind when somebody commits suicide, I I think it's very, very important that you do not spend a lot of time burdening yourself with trying to figure out what you could have done or why didn't you pick up on any clues because the person is hiding a lot of things, plus your mind is not even seeking clues of that sort. So um, I hope that's helpful to to someone. And I think that is. Um, my daughter didn't leave a note either, and um, that's why I guess I've been speculating for the last 10 years as to what could I have done differently. Yes, and that's very normal. I've talked to a lot of people that, you know, that when I did survive this and the gun didn't go off, um, they were asking me what could they have done? And I said, nothing. Either, you know, I had gotten to the point where this just, life wasn't worth living. Now I have found out that it very much is worth living. And what happens to the person who gets to that point, at least based on my experience, is that you totally lose hope. You, you are in a quagmire and you see absolutely no way out. It could be because you are swamped in terrible financial circumstances. It could be that you've lost the love of your life in, in a divorce, or you, you've lost your job and you just feel like you're worthless, and you just you, you, and you see no way out. So you know, you, you it's it's almost as if there really is no other option. Now, what if, if somebody is listening who is at that point, I want to give you legitimate hope, legitimate hope from somebody who has been there, and now I live a life of love and joy and peace, and it, it's a journey. Now, I'm not saying that you suddenly decide to live and everything changes, you know, it's important to get the right resources in your life. It's important to recognize you're going to have some ups and downs and the thought is going to come back to you again. So it's, it's just, I'm hoping if there's anybody 
listening who is on the verge of that, that you take a deep breath and you decide to find some resources and reach out to somebody who will hear you and will be able to lead you where you need to go to take your first step to recovery from this. And um, it's worth it. It's worth giving life a second, a third, a fourth. I mean, after all, cats have nine lives. So we ought to be able to give ourselves <laughs> that you know, they do. more than one or two or three choices, you know, chances here. So that's that's what I would like to share with, with those folks, uh, if that's where they are. I'm living proof that you can get through it and that it is worth getting through. So you talk about having a simple formula that you've used to help hundreds of people. Is this the yes, formula um, you talk about in your writing? Yes, it is. Um, and it's a simple formula, but it's not necessarily easy to follow. But I'm right. glad you brought that up. Um, the, actually, the formula came to me when I was developing it for, I, I had my own acting studio where I taught actors and how that sort of thing. So I was trying to find a way to help them bring their characters to life in a real way, not imitate anger or imitate love, or but to experience it for themselves and so that it would get past the footlights. So in my spiritual philosophy, I believe that I was given this formula, okay. but it has reached far beyond acting. And the formula is P plus B. So think of peanut butter. P plus B. B. <laughs> Yeah, P plus B equals E equals A. So it's perception plus belief equals emotion equals action. Hmm. And what the basis of that formula is, is that our emotions are a direct result of our perceptions and our beliefs. If we want to change how we feel, then we need to go back to the source, which is our perceptions and beliefs. Now, what happens if we focus on the, 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 the emotion? It's like people with an anger issue. They'll yeah. focus on trying to control the anger. And then guess what happens, Birdstone? You know, they explode ultimately <laughs> because they haven't really resolved the fear that is causing the anger. And all anger comes from fear. Right. To me, you've, in written, my you've written about that. Yes, yes. And, and in my philosophy, there are only two emotions from which all other emotions stem. And those two emotions are love and fear. So what has to happen where a person needs to begin uh, would be to look at what are their perceptions and what are their beliefs. And, and that's their truth at that moment. It would be like, okay, you and I are going to meet at... Um, the mall for lunch, okay? And okay. So then I'm sitting in the middle of the mall, and I got there a little early, and I'm waiting for you to get there, Birdsong. And um, so all of a sudden, I look way down at the other end of the at the at the hall of the mall, and I see you. So I stand up and say, "Hey, Birdsong, here I am, here I am." Okay. And all of a sudden, I realize it isn't Birdsong. Okay, <laughs> it was somebody else, and so I sort of sit down on the bench and I stick my nose in my phone like I'm texting somebody. Okay, what <laughs> happened there was, you know, I 
perceived that it was you. I believe that, you know, my beliefs about you are that you're a wonderful person. I'm really looking forward to lunch. And so what do I do? I, I feel happy that I've seen you and, and I stand up and make a fool of myself because it, is, it isn't you. So it's important for us to recognize that if we want to change how we feel, we need to go back to what are we perceiving about ourselves, what do we believe about ourselves, and what are we perceiving about the world and believing that. There's one other thought I want to stick in here, if I may. All right, please do. Okay, the depth of our the depth of our uh, grief or our angst when we're on the point or verge of suicide or even depression. You don't even have to get to the suicide part. Um, look at the gap that you think you're seeing between who you would like to be or who you think other people think you are or who you think other people want you to be, and then think of how you see yourself. And yes. the bigger the gap, the greater the depression. I understand so that. We have, yeah, doesn't that make sense? You see, It makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, so what we have to do is look at, okay, why do I see myself the way I do? Why do I have to live up to the expectations of other people? You know, and I know who I want to be, and then I have to choose to believe I can get there. Okay. All right. Well, this is a good advice. Now, if people want to get in touch with you, you have a website, geniesanner at yahoo.com? Um, no, that's my, that's my email. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. Be, that's okay. It's geniesanner.love. And that's uh -huh. J E A. Double N E S as in Sam A double N E R Jeannie Fanner dot love. Okay. Now your book, I haven't finished reading it yet, is called Finding Unconditional Love a Little Piece at a Time. Among other things, you use great imagery. I can't go into it too deeply because of time here, but you talk about barnacles, you talk about the muddy road. You talk about things like that that strike me and monks and what they do. How did you come up oh. with some of this imagery? Oh, um, well, the barnacles were my own. Um, it's just that, you know, barnacles are very devastating to ships, and I go into right. a lot of detail as to how devastating they are to ships, so they seem to be innocuous in their own right. But we have spiritual barnacles, I think. And those kinds of things are, um, you know, the fears that we have, our ego getting involved, all, all kinds of barnacles. So I go into the barnacles in the book. Um, and as far as the Zen parables that I sometimes use, you know, I, I came across a lot of those while I was uh, studying. I was called to explore spirituality very early in my life. And so in doing that, I have explored Buddhism and uh, Taoism and Christianity and Hinduism and a lot of the isms. Right. <laughs> and, and, and with all of the isms, there's tremendous wisdom in all of the various religions, just tremendous wisdom. Um, there are differences, obviously, but 
the core of each major religion of the world is love. Um, and it's unconditional love. It's divine love. Not the kind of love our ego gets us into, but the kind that um, our spirit, our soul gets us into. So um, that's that's where they came from. And they're fascinating. I love the Zen parables. They, they just, the last sentence often just has the most <laughs> brilliant insight. That's right. And I've read project. some of those. Now, again, I wish we could talk longer. Is the book on sale at Amazon.com? Well, the older version is. Um, I wrote the book and published it in 2011, but I didn't do anything to market it or do anything about that. And recently I've been guided spiritually from my personal perception um, to revise the book and get it out there again. And so uh-huh. it's going to be available online um, in May, I believe. So Very good. So find the old one, but I'm hoping that they will wait for the new one. All right. Well, the book is Finding Unconditional Love, A Little Piece at a Time. I am reading it. It is very good. It's very worthwhile. Dr. Jeannie Santer, I want to thank you for being here with Birdsong. We might talk to you again. you got a lot to say. I hope so, Birdsong. And you're an absolute delight, and thank you for having me on. God bless you, and have a great day. Amen. All right, this is Birdsong, and uh, we're here with you. There's more to come. Stick with us. We have a good show for you today. This is Birdsong back with you, folks. Hope you liked that first segment. We talked with Dr. Jeannie Sanner. She has a formula for when people believe they are at the end of their wits and want to commit suicide that one should think about. I had a suicide in my family. It's very, very tough to get over. But anyway, let's talk about some of the commentary of current events that went on during the past week, and I will sort of give you my version of what it's about. I guess you heard many of these things on TV, but as a lawyer, I know about some of them, and I've done some of these kinds of things concerning warrants and things like that. The news came out on Monday the 9th that FBI agents had issued warrants and had raided not broken in, but served the warrants and raided the office of Michael Cohen, who is President Trump's attorney, personal attorney. They searched his office, his home, and his hotel room that he was staying in permanently while his house is under renovation. The President of the United States, Donald Trump, was very unhappy about this move. He says it was un-American. And he said it was disgraceful. Well, I'm here to tell you, folks, that it wasn't disgraceful. It's the way our criminal law works. Basically, the Fourth Amendment of the United States says, and I'm looking at it right now, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated 
and no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the person or things to be seized. Now, that is just what the FBI did. They were working with the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York City in Manhattan. That's called the Southern District of New York. They wrote up affidavits, swore to them, and went before a judge who determined there was probable cause that a crime was committed and or there was evidence of a crime that might be destroyed if a warrant, an immediate warrant, was not issued. It's called a no-knock warrant. The probable cause for this started with this whole thing with Stormy Daniels, an adult movie star who supposedly had or allegedly had an affair with Mr. Trump in 2006 before he was president. Shortly before his election in 2016, she was paid $130,000 to not say anything about their affair. This was done in what was called a non-disclosure agreement, an NDA. Now, the problem with all of this is that Miss Stormy Daniels found out that the president, who is now president, had never signed the document. The document said she couldn't talk about this, but now she wants to talk about it. On the 5th of April, that is a week ago, reporters asked President Trump, did he know about the money paid to Stormy Daniels? And he said he did not know anything about it. He said, did you know where the money came from? And he said, well, you have to talk to my lawyer, Michael Cohen. So they got warrants and they searched for information. Now, what might be the crime? It could be bank fraud, wire fraud, and mail fraud. For those things, you can go to jail, strike that, you can go to prison. Jail can only stay a year. Prison, you can go several years. Now, we don't know exactly what they found, but obviously they found some things that had to do with payments, and we will see where it goes. Now, we don't know whether any of the information will be returned, but the president was concerned about what's called lawyer-client privilege. That is a privilege in the law that says the government has no right to know about communications between the lawyer and his client concerning legal matters. However, there's an exception to that rule, and what is the exception? It's called the crime-fraud exception. If there is evidence to believe that a lawyer and his client have committed a crime or are committing a crime, the government does have a right to issue warrants and to find out about that. Now, so that's where we are with that. Now, I don't want to talk a lot of legalese, but the real problem for Mr. Cohen is not just that he might be on the hook for some criminality like bank fraud and wire fraud and mail fraud. He is a member of the New York Bar. That is, 
He passed the bar, and he has a license to practice law in the state of New York. However, if a lawyer is found guilty of a crime, his law license can be taken away from him. If there is fraud found on the behalf of a lawyer, normally they will be disbarred. That is, their law license will be taken away from them. That's one of the things that is facing Mr. Cohen. Now, Mr. Cohen, who's a lawyer, personal lawyer to the president, he has lawyers working for him to try to get him out of this mess and get the warrants overturned. But you know, it's a big problem when you're the lawyer and you have to have lawyers. So we wish him well. We'll see what happens. Now, one of the things that happened last week also was the fact that the president wants to send troops to the southern border. He had information from Fox and Friends that a caravan of people from Central America were coming to the United States, and they wanted to get in and apply for the DACA uh, privilege to stay in the United States. Well, a lot of that is hooey. There was a caravan that was coming from Latin America. It was stopped in Mexico by the Mexican authorities. They have not made it to the border. However, the president wanted to send American troops to the border. He wanted to send about 4,000 the border with Mexico in Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California. Now, the real problem is you cannot sit and send United States military soldiers to do this kind of work. Why not? Because in 1878, Congress passed a law called the Posse Comitatus Act, which says you can't use American military to carry out domestic crime fighting. Now, the exception to that rule and to that law and that act, I'd call it, is that the National Guard can be sent to the border. And President Obama, when he was president, he did send some National Guard to the southern border for a while. Now, if these governors of each of these states okay it, they can send troops, but the troops are not allowed to arrest anyone. What the troops can do, they can use they can use reconnaissance drones to find about people coming across the border. They can work on roads, they can work on repairing fences and walls, but they cannot shoot people. And they cannot arrest people. And why not? Because we have what's known as a border patrol. That is our part of our law enforcement under Homeland Security that has the right to arrest people coming in to the United States illegally. Fewer people are coming, thank heavens, than used to be. But we will see what happens with this. So just keep in mind, the Posse Comitatus Act of 1878 does not allow American military to be deployed in the United States. However, National Guard troops can do it. It's my understanding right now, the governors of Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona said they will send National Guard troops. California, 
the governor there, Governor Brown, has not made up his mind. Stick with us. Birdsong back with you. Still got more to this show today. Hope you're enjoying what you're hearing. Maybe you're learning something. Right now, we're going to have a little entertainment. I'm going to read some dumb criminal law stories. These are stories I collected last May. They're still relevant. And you'll hear a few riddles at the end. Our first story comes from Alaska. Here's the headline. Cardboard box-headed thief. Authorities report that a man in Anchorage, Alaska, has been robbing businesses at knife point with a cardboard box on his head. The bandit robbed two liquor stores and a filling station the last week of May, 2017. Quote, some goofball wearing a cardboard box with two eye holes punched out came in and threatened her, said Kevin Wright whose girlfriend was working at the gas station at the time. No arrest has been made yet of the cardboard boxed headed thief in Anchorage, Alaska. Next story is from Arizona. The headline on this one read, The headline revealed that this drug deal was dead on arrival. Customs agents recently stopped a hearse traveling near Tombstone, Arizona, and found 67 pounds of marijuana hidden in the casket. Along with animal manure, intended to throw off drug-sniffing dogs, according to a police report. The 28-year-old American driver was arrested for possession of contraband worth an estimated $33,000 in a hearse traveling near Tombstone, Arizona. (laughs) <laughs> 67 pounds of marijuana hidden in a casket also filled with animal manure. Phew. <laughs> a story now from California. The headline, Gluten-Free Meth. A police department in Newark, California, is offering to make sure drug users' crystal meth is gluten-free. The police department posted a photo on Facebook showing some crystal meth and a glass pipe with the caption, quote, Is your meth laced with deadly gluten? Not sure? Bring your meth down to the police department. We'll test it for you free, end quote. It's reported that no one has yet taken up the friendly offer. <laughs> Gluten-free meth. <laughs> Another story from California. Headline, Did the teacher have to go? It's been reported that an eighth grader at the Jack G. Desmond Middle School in the town of Madeira, California, has been suspended for slipping eight laxatives into the teacher's coffee in mid-May of 2017. The student may also face criminal charges even though none of the pills dissolved or were ingested, officials said. Again, did the teacher have to go? (laughs) Here's one from the country of Colombia. Headline, follow the money. 
A Colombian woman swallowed $7,000 in U.S. currency to keep it from her husband in a bitter dispute, a bitter divorce dispute. In terrible pain, the woman went to the Santana University Hospital in the town of Bucaramanga, Colombia, where doctors removed $5,700 from her stomach. The dollar notes were washed and are in good condition, but the rest of the money was lost because of gastric fluids, said a surgeon. $5,700. Follow the money. <laughs> Here's another one from Florida. Headline. Doing the wild thing? A couple in St. Petersburg couldn't resist having a sexual tryst on the front steps of a dental office during broad daylight. David Wheeler, 55, and Mary Ann Bromley, 63, started doing the wild thing outside the office of the Modern, Dis Modern Dentistry Office in St. Petersburg, Florida. Police report that the couple continued their romp even after police arrived and took them to jail. Doing the wild thing, they were. Doing the wild thing. <laughs> All right. Here's another one from Florida. Uninvited for chicken and vodka, says the headline. Uninvited for fried chicken and vodka. An Alachua County woman, this is in Florida, came home to find a stranger frying chicken on her stove and drinking her vodka. The suspect, Ronald Wesley, 34, was arrested at the home. He also had a prior arrest for theft. Uninvited for fried chicken and vodka. We go to Japan now. The headline says, Boom Closet. It's been reported that some residents of Hiroshima, Japan, discovered that their broom closet was actually a boom closet. Yes, they found an unexpected loaded World War II bomb tucked away in a cupboard in May of 2017. The Japanese army blocked off the surrounding streets after the startled citizens reported the 18-pound munition. It was removed and detonated elsewhere. It's unclear how the bomb, which was of Japanese make, ended up in the closet. Boom closet, huh? <laughs> All right. Here's the final one for today. And these stories, folks, are all true. Can't even believe that some of them aren't true, but here's one from Kansas. Headline, do not use turkey feathers to hunt turkeys. Two men shielding, two men shielding themselves with turkey feathers in hopes of attracting turkeys were accidentally blasted by hunters in their own party who mistook them for the turkeys. Gary, Gary Deanst and Justin Wiles were shot by Gary's brother Kenneth, but will survive. Kansas wildlife officials said the accident happened in Crawford County, Kansas. Do not wear turkey feathers in Crawford County, Kansas. <laughs> While hunting turkeys, they put turkey feathers on and got blasted. Oh, my gosh. Those are the dumb criminal law stories for this week. I've got some easy riddles for you today. Some of my riddles are hard. These aren't. We'll talk to you about them at the end of the show. First riddle, easy one. Who can shave 20 times a day 
and still have a beard? Who can shave 20 times a day and still have a beard? That's easy, but think about it. Second one, how do fish always know what they weigh? How do fish always know what they weigh? I'm sure you can figure that one out. What can one say, this is the last one, what can one say about spoiled milk? What can one say about spoiled milk? Well, I'm going to come back after our next little segment with my Paul Harvey story and give you the answer to those riddles, but I bet you're smart enough to figure them out. This is Birdsong. Stick with us. Okay, folks, I'm back with you. I uh, love Paul. loved Paul Harvey. He was a great broadcaster. He and his son came up with the rest of the story stories. Paul would deliver them. His son, Paul Arant, wrote them. Here's one says, titled, You Can't Come Inside. You Can't Come Inside. Country singer Lonzo Green was a stranger in town that summer. He had brought his wife and two children all the way from Cherry Valley, Arkansas, to visit relatives in Tennessee. But as I say, he was a stranger in town, unaccustomed to the local customs and taboos. So Lonzo was a bit surprised to learn that a friend of his young nephew was under no circumstances to be allowed in the house. His teenage nephew, Jimmy, had proudly, excitedly spread the word around school that Uncle Lonzo had come to town and was staying with them right there in their apartment on Lauderdale Court. Naturally, this impressed Jimmy's young friends, especially one, a quiet, dark-haired boy of 15. Jimmy came home that day and told Lonzo about the boy, how he had his own guitar, but he didn't know how to tune it. If Lonzo would just tune the guitar for him, the boy would be very grateful. Lonzo said he'd be happy to oblige and ask Jimmy when his friend could come with his guitar. Jimmy's eager smile fell. His friend could come by that afternoon, but Mom and Dad had made it a firm rule that the boy was not allowed inside. He was from the wrong side of the tracks, they explained, and some folks called him white trash. Perhaps he could meet Lonzo outside, but he was not to be permitted in the house. Lonzo didn't quite understand, but he nodded and said nothing, and a couple of hours later he walked out into the sunlight and waited. In a minute or two, a figure appeared at the end of the lane, a boy with dark hair, a battered guitar slung around his neck. As the boy walked closer, Lonzo studied the sensitive features, the timid sidewise glances, that is, the timid sidewise glances, at this better neighborhood, the sting of self-consciousness. Then he noticed that the boy's guitar, obviously inexpensive, doubtless secondhand, was tethered by a piece of string. They met at the curb, shook hands. 
The youngster gave a shy, slight smile, and there, at the curbside, they sat down. Lonzo took the instrument from the boy. Had no one ever shown him how to tune his guitar? The answer came in a soft, polite southern drawl. No, sir. Lonzo demonstrated, placing his fingers over the proper frets. The boy watched intently. After the guitar was tuned, he thanked Lonzo and began to rise from the curb. But Lonzo would not let him leave. He had tasted poverty in his own youth. He, too, had known the other side of the neighborhood barrier which separated acceptable from unacceptable people. How much a little kindness from the right person would have meant back then. So Lonzo asked the dark-haired boy to stay a while longer. The hesitant smile broke into a broad grin. With the boy's guitar, Lonzo played and sang a familiar hill country ballad. Then another. And another. Shortly, the haunting reticence, shortly, the haunting reticence in the boy's eyes was gone, replaced by the joy of the music. Cars streamed past them. The shadows of late afternoon grew long. After Lonzo had taught the boy to play a few chords on the guitar, the youngster thanked him again and was on his way. He was not invited inside, not then. Lonzo Green would never meet him again. But the boy had left his company with a warm memory, a memory he would carry throughout the, his remarkable radical change in his own life. For some day you would invite for some day you would invite the dark-haired boy from the wrong side of town into your home. And when he crossed those tracks for good, he brought with him his guitar, the soft, polite drawl, the hesitant smile. Now that was 29 summers and 33 motion pictures and 400 million records and a lifetime ago. And if there is a happy ending mixed in with our own bittersweet memories, it is that the boy was never ever after, unwelcome again. The young fellow who once upon a time couldn't come inside was Elvis Presley. And now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> Hope you like that, folks. All right, we're coming to the end of the show. Here are the riddles. Did you come up with the answer? The first one was very easy. Who can shave 20 times a day and still have a beard? Well, the answer is a barber. Who can shave 20 times a day and still have a beard? A barber. Second one's also easy. How do fish always know what they weigh? Well, it's because they have their own scales. <laughs> Finally, what can one say about spoiled milk? Well, you could say, spoiled milk is an utter shame. <laughs> spoiled milk is an utter shame. <laughs> All right, this has been Birdsong. It's great being with you today. I'm going to leave you with this thought of the day. The most important question to ask on the job is not what am I getting. The most important question to ask is what am I becoming? That's our thought of the day. Think about it. Do not ask, what am I getting on the job? The most important question to ask is, what am I becoming? This is Birdsong. I'll be back with you next week. Listen, you'll learn and be entertained. <laughs>